0: everybody and welcome to episode 270 of the talking chop podcast i am your host brad Rowland. it is sunday evening we are 24 plus hours away from an excruciating loss for my co-host and uh, scott coleman is here to discuss Mm. primarily the indianapolis colts today on the podcast welcome scott hello
1: hey brad good to be on it's been a couple weeks since you and i have done one of these hope you had a a nice holiday happy new year and are, are doing well hope everybody's doing well uh, yeah. You know, as, as a Colts fan, it was a, a difficult game to lose just because I think as a fan, anytime it's such a close back and forth game, it's it's tough. And I don't have to tell Falcons fans about playoff heartbreak by any means. But uh, but yeah, now, you know, you just kind of sit back and, and count the days until spring trainings on the horizon, I guess, is the is the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Yeah, we are almost there. Uh, in fact, I want to just remind people at the beginning of the podcast that we did have a Road to Atlanta episode about a week and a half ago-ish with Eric and the crew uh, previewing the prospect list at TalkingChop.com. Those are now available, all six installments are uh, are out there, top 30 prospects in the system. Um, I will say for myself, and I think you as well, Scott, uh, I learn a lot from those lists always, and our guys yeah. are very smart. I'm not a prospect guy. I've always said that on the podcast. Those are fantastic. So read them and also listen to that preview podcast. And I'm told by Eric that they're going to have a recap as well in the near future. So that will be coming on this same podcast feed. So go ahead and subscribe now. And also I had Gabe Burns of the AJC on. Uh, just before the new year turned over. So that's still relevant, still on the feed. And honestly, most of the content in the last, I don't know, six weeks is still relevant to listen to because nothing's happened. So <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. But you referenced spring training. This is something that's kind of weird that I uh, noted that I saw someone. I can't remember who now, so my, my apologies. But somebody wrote this on Twitter and I checked it. and It's true. Uh, Saturday was the halfway point between the final playoff game and opening day of the season. So that's depressing on one hand because we're only halfway there but also a reminder that spring training is going to make it sound uh, we seem a lot closer spring training games start february 27th which is a long time from now it's like six seven weeks but essentially teams will be reporting to spring training as long as they're on time and we're we all have our fingers crossed on that teams will be reporting spring training in about a month or so so we're kind of getting closer now there's a lot of roster stuff to get to, to discuss, which we'll talk about some of that on the podcast today, but we're at least turning the corner a little bit now that we're into 2021. If they stay on course, baseball is like not that far away, which is nice.
1: No, it, it's encouraging. Um, you know, anytime it's not like the Braves haven't done anything. There are teams around baseball that if, if you think the Braves have had a slow off season, <laughs> yeah, uh, there are teams that literally haven't done anything, like have not made a major league roster move other than just decided on like their non-tenders and their uh, you know, arbitration guys or whatever. Um, of course, the Braves go out and they add Smiley and they add Morton early, which was fun. It was great content for us on the podcast. But as Brad said, I mean, literally there has been nothing since the Adam Duval non-tender decision, which was the first week of December. So fingers crossed, maybe we'll work a little magic tonight and in this upcoming week. It does seem... We'll talk about, of course, the moves of the last week, but it does seem like things are starting to thaw out a little bit as the calendar turns to 2021. Uh, some free agents, some trades, of course, which we'll talk about with the Mets and the Indians. Um, so uh, hopefully not just for the Braves, but across the league as a fan. I don't know about you, but I, of course, enjoy all of the movement around the league and seeing where players go. So hopefully this is the the start of, of what should should be a pretty busy ramp up to the start of spring training.
0: We can certainly hope that's the case. And I'm glad you said that. I said that. I made sure that we talked about that with Gabe as well. When I had Gabe on just the fact that, listen, I know it's been a long time. The Braves have not been as quiet as some teams. And I know it seems like a long time. Trust me, we are, we are producing, producing content. And I feel bad for Chris Willis, uh, who's in charge of our website and having to populate it every day. Cause there's just nothing going on, but yeah. here we are. Um, just as a topper, We said this before, but it's worth noting that I think the biggest reason, single reason why things are not happening so far is the lack of the universal DH rule, which transitions into Marcelo Zuna, of course, but we don't don't have that clarity yet, which is crazy in mid-January. And also, like the playoff rules aren't done yet either. Like there's all kinds of stuff for next season that is like up in the air. And now you could argue the playoff rules don't necessarily impact roster building that much. But the DH certainly does in the National League. And uh, Marcel Ozuna is still out there. He's not the only one by any means. Nelson Cruz, who's like an absolute pure DH. You know, Ozuna can at least fake it and left some. Uh, Nelson Cruz is like one of the best DHs of all time in the last like five years. He's been incredible. But these guys are just kind of hanging out right now, waiting. Yeah. Uh, the Boston Globe reported on Saturday that there is, quote, little buzz, end quote, around Ozuna right now. He changed agents back in November and everything else basically since then has been like radio silence Again, a big part of that is the DH stuff, but we talk about Ozuna Ozuna for a second just because it's not like breaking news that he is waiting for the DH, but it seems so clear that's really what's going to be happening here, and and Mark Bowman talked about him a little bit on his mailbag that we'll get into as well, but I don't know. What do you think about Ozuna just like hanging Hmm. out, and I know you talked about him on Twitter kind of being almost unlucky at this point, too. Like (laughs) It's really brutal for him that he's not... Like has huge money waiting for him at the moment. I think he's gonna get paid at some point, but uh, you think it'd be a little bit quicker after the season he had?
1: Yeah, I think he will certainly get paid eventually, as you said. And and I think Gabe, uh, Gabe Byrne said it on the podcast a couple weeks ago when he came on. It, it's honestly embarrassing for Major League Baseball that we are two months into the off season, what should be a a busy and active time for the league to get in headlines as football and, and basketball and hockey are going on. Um, you know. No no sport has an off season, frankly, as boring and as lame as baseball does. And they don't. How are you supposed to sign as a player if, as you said, Marcelo Zuna is primarily going to DH moving forward? Nelson Cruz is a DH only. Michael Brantley, who is a very easy fit for the Braves if they have a DH, he's somebody who wants to DH or at least DH most of the time. So what are these guys supposed to do, right? I mean, they would be silly to narrow themselves to only half the league because if, if baseball ever gets its act together and says, yes, we're going to have a DH next year, or I guess definitively, no, says they're not going to have a DH next year, then those guys can sign. And I, and I don't blame them at all for um, having not signed to this point. And it's really, you just hope there's some kind of resolution here soon. And, and for Ozuna, I, it's an interesting topic of discussion because you'll remember last year, last winter. Ozuna did not have a ton of suitors. He had the reported deal I think from Cincinnati of 3 years and 45 million. Yep. Of course, he ultimately signed with the Braves for the 1 year, 18 million. Who knows, you know, what kind of activity and traction he gained elsewhere. Um so yes, I know he was amazing. He was a top 10 hitter in baseball this past summer for the 2 months they played. Um but it's not as if anything has dramatically changed at least in my opinion. Of Ozuna in the eyes of most front offices around the league, add in the DH uncertainty, you just, you just don't know.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny to remember this, but Ozuna, there was some drama last year about whether he would get the qualifying offer from the Cardinals. He finally got it and then rejected it and got like kind of made fun of for rejecting it because he lasted so long on the market. And yeah, he had 345 waiting for him. But if you're rejecting the qualifying offer, having to sign for basically the same amount as the qualifying offer several months later is not what you want. Uh, so Ozuna's market, for whatever reason, has not materialized two years in a row. And again, I think a big part of it this time around is the DH because he was better. It was his best season. You know, It was a season, of course, but it was a shortened one. So I'm sure teams are at least discounting that to some degree because it wasn't the big sample size that we often see. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of... A reminder that you know, especially the guys who have real DH leans like Ozuna, like Nelson Cruz, even Michael Brantley. I know Bowman referenced this, but he said the presence of the universal DH. And I'm, I'm quoting him now would create um, reason to add Nelson Cruz or Michael Brantley to the wish list for the Braves. Um, that's his opinion and just kind of speculation. But those three guys for me are in a pool together. In terms of there is no reason for them to sign right now, unless a team just kind of miraculously meets their asking price in the dead of winter right now, which which doesn't seem to be happening for anybody. You know, the big moves that have happened in the last few weeks and months have been trades. They're not free agent signings. I know Kyle Schwarber signing for one year and $10 million is like a big deal right now in baseball, but none of the big guys have signed big deals recently there been a couple of trades. The Padres were super active for that week, that week flurry that they had, and then the then the, uh, the trade for the Mets. But the free agent market is dead. Like the big guys are just waiting, mm-hmm. and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and it's pretty obvious why, on some level. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's we'll see.
1: It's it's no different than if the NFL said, well, we don't know if we're going to have a quarterback in half of the league <laughs> next year, and you have like legitimately a half dozen good quarterbacks trying to figure out where they want to sign. Well, if you're like you said, Nelson Cruz is a D.H. only kind of player. Ozuna probably should be a D.H. only, though I'm guessing the team that ends up with him will, will play him in the outfield a little bit, depending on where he goes, well,
0: especially in the National League. Like, I don't know. Yeah. At some point he has to play left if he's in the National League. If he's in if he's in the American League. I'm expecting him to never play the outfield again. I mean, yeah. not, not maybe not never, but very rarely, like more emergency only kind of stuff. At mm-hmm. least, in, at, least guy it, yeah. at least if he yeah. signs a big deal, like there's a scenario where Ozuna maybe has to have like a pillow contract, and doesn't get the deal he wants and signs a one year deal again. That seems to be in play in my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying yep. it's likely, but that's the way that maybe he just like has to suck it up, sign a one year deal, whether it be in Atlanta or somewhere else, and just kind of you know figure it out for a year. But I'm with you, like he's got to, yeah, you got to have a plan for Ozuna. We, we've done the whole thing before about whether nationally sure. team should sign him either way, and. I'm I'm pro that. I think he's worth it with the bat, but I don't know. He's a guy that obviously being on the Braves roster is a prime candidate for discussion for us. And none of it's necessarily new, but we're we look up and it's mid-January and we're in the same spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, again, you hope there's some resolution. I think Michael Brantley is somebody if there's a DH makes a lot of sense for the Braves too because of his profile, high on base percentage. Um you imagine working in his OBP with Acuna and Freddie and Albies and Dan's. I mean, that that's another guy who makes all the sense in the world and not just for Atlanta, but most teams, in the national league. Um, but again, if if he's somebody who wants to be a primary DH because he's had some health issues in the past, he's really cutting his suitors in half. And that's just absurd to me. And I know it's we're, we're in different times and there is a CBA. Uh, there'll be a new, uh, collective collective bargaining agreement done in another year. Um, so, you know, again, you don't want to make a huge decision based on one upcoming season, but it it really is just honestly a joke that we don't have clarity as we approach uh, the second full week of January.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's very well said. Um, We got into this a second ago, but Mark Bowman did a mailbag this week as we transition a little bit here. And Mark is great. Obviously, he's not um, preaching the gospel that he's like he's not declaring himself correct and all of this stuff, but always has some interesting nuggets in his mailbags. And one thing that you actually pointed out to me that I hadn't seen was that he said twice within that mailbag that the Braves have no interest in Chris Bryant, like pretty notably uh, clear on this. Now that's not always gonna hold up, and this is not a, this is not a Mark Bowman thing. So sometimes you get lied to. That happened. Uh, I remember with the the Braves and some relievers, um, Dallas Keuchel was one where they you know there was, there was lots of reporting where the Braves did not want him and then they signed him like two days later. Um, so it's not like foolproof, but certainly notable that he said twice that they're not interested in Chris Bryant. So I could read the whole snippet to you, but basically he pretty much closes the door in terms of uh, what he's at least hearing. He did say though, if they don't have an outfielder, they could pursue a third baseman and move Austin Rowley to left field, which isn't breaking news, but that's noteworthy that he he, he always said that. I know Bryant's been a topic conversation on Twitter. um, And for obvious reasons, he's a good player on a one-year deal and the Braves love one-year mm-hmm. deals, as we all know. Uh, but what do you make of Bowman kind of uh, poo-pooing that idea? Not that it was a slam dunk anyway, but the fact that he said that pretty clearly.
1: Yeah, I mean, he and he said it a couple times this winter. That, that's not the first time he's written that either. I mean, he is very clearly hearing from somebody that he trusts, and he's been a Braves beat writer for 20 years now, and I know there's been different front, front offices over the years. But, man, um, you know, Brian is fascinating. <clears throat> he's coming off a year where... He was injured. Uh, I believe he was injured in 2019 as well. Um, has not been able to reach the same highs as his, I believe, 2016 or 2017 when he was the No. Rookie of the Year and then MVP. Um, if you look, if you do a deep dive on his numbers the last few years, his his on-the-surface numbers are okay, but things like his exit velocity and batted ball profiles and hard hit rates are not very good. I mean, honestly, they're pretty bad. Um, if you go mess around and look at those, um, this front office has, of course, targeted players who hit the ball hard. And why wouldn't you, right? I mean, if you hit the ball harder, it's less likely to be caught. It's more likely to find a gap or go over the fence. But, but at the same time, um, it is not the end-all be-all of hitter stats. So, because Bryant's the one-year rental, I think he's the obvious guy who, at least to, I guess on the surface, makes sense. Um, because you might have to balance some money if the Braves want to get rid of Ender. That is another easy connect-the-dots there. He would cover <laughs> oh, about half Ender. of what Brian owed. Um, but if, you know, if you're going to do that, you could, in theory, add Bryant for $10 million. And I know his trade value is nothing compared to what it was a few years ago when there were at least rumors that Bryant might be available. Um, but ultimately, this is... Uh, you know, it's it's an interesting situation all the way around. And, and who knows if the Cubs are actually going to go all in. They've also been talking about trading William Contreras and Javi Baez and, and those types. So we'll see if the Cubs in the next two months go all in with this kind of sell off they're doing uh, or if, if they're just kind of reimagining and, and saving a few dollars for the Ricketts family. Uh, that That's certainly possible, too.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think that as, uh, as notable as it is that Bowman just says no to this a couple of times, I think it's not impossible the Braves get him the mix here. It would have to be pretty cheap, I would think, based on the reporting that's out there, not just from Mark but from other people that have said, like, kind of throwing water on Bryant in the past. For whatever reason, the Braves just might not like him, which is totally fine. It's sort of explainable with the way that he's been playing recently that you may not love him, which I get. He's a talented guy, has real pedigree and all that, but it may not be a fit that they like. So just keep that in mind. But he's a big name that's been discussed a lot. I don't know. I mean, he he would make sense to me, but it's not like it's a slam that He's gonna be awesome either. Like this is not I, like like you said two years mm-hmm. ago. Chris Bryant would have been seen as like this star level return, and he's not necessarily been that recently. So, who yeah. knows? Also, in the same piece, I mentioned before that he kind of threw out their Cruz and Brantley on the DH list if Ozuna is not back and if they have the if they have the DH. Bowman also mentioned George Springer, which not a surprise that George Springer would be a good fit anywhere. That's the way that he described him. But he does say, kind of, you know, explains that Springer would, quote, be fit nicely in Atlanta's lineup and within within an outfield trio that includes Acuna and Christian Pache, end quote. None of that's revolutionary. But the fact that Bowman didn't just come out and write the Braves will not sign George Springer, which is what I kind of think is probably true. Maybe I raised my eyebrows a little bit that he didn't just like knock that. I mean, the fact that he did kind of cross off Bryant and did not cross off Springer, but actually added him to the list was mm-hmm. like, Oh, okay. That's kind of interesting to me. I don't know.
1: Do you know that George Springer is 31 years old?
0: I, I, I did not know that until recently. Cause I was talking about him on a podcast, I think maybe preparing for this podcast at some point, And I was like, man, he's older than I thought he was. Yeah. Um. So I did know, but not until recently. So yeah, I think people, people might be surprised at how old he actually is.
1: Yeah, it, it's true. Like in my head, um, and he's, so he's about 14 months older than Marcelo Zuna. Ozuna is just turned 30 and Springer turned 31 in September. Um, in my head, George Springer is like 27 years old. And well, he, Ozuna, he came up late. Yeah.
0: Like mm, yeah. he, uh, and because he's been really good, basically the entire time he's been in the majors, it feels like he was young when he arrived, but he was 24 when he got to the majors, mm, which I yeah. didn't realize until I looked this up, um, earlier but yeah he came up in 2014 played 78 games and had an 800 plus ops like he was good right away but was 24 and a lot of these like top pedigree guys come up at 21 these days but springer as a former you know top 12 yeah he was no he was the 11th pick in the draft was last time a a number 11 pick in the draft doesn't come up to the majors until he's 24 years old Hmm. and 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 then is good yeah. Like, if there's a reason why, it's because they're kind of flaming out and they never really get there. And I know he went to college, so that's that's really part of the reason here is that he was a college guy. Sure. But still, like, you don't come up at 24 and suddenly be awesome the entire way, the way that he has. It's not really a normal path in the modern mm-hmm. game. But that that kind of explains why he's older than maybe we all thought.
1: And And I think the reason that Springer probably has a little more widespread appeal is because he can still play defense. And we have seen just how... Negatively, players who don't play defense or don't play defense very well get viewed by front offices in, in today's game. Um, Springer can, you know, he's not a gold glover at this point, but he can go out there and play a serviceable defense, especially if you could put him in a corner uh, with Pache and Acuna. Um, I, I think that's why he has value. And of course, he's, I mean, you look at his numbers. Uh, last year he had a 146 wrc plus and then the season before that a 156 a career 134 as you said he's been really good from the day he ever came up a career 134 wrc plus so maybe the age thing because he is 31 is is going to scare a little uh, scare you a little bit because there's not a ton of older outfielders right but um but yeah hey if if George Springer wants to come to Atlanta and there's a deal that is fair for both sides, I would I would happily sign up for that.
0: Yeah, I got to be honest that I have not thought it was very likely whatsoever the entire time because Springer is really the best position player available. I mean, in terms of non-catcher, I suppose, which the Braves are not going to sign a catcher, I don't think. Uh, At least they were never going to at the beginning of this, given the way that Darno has been playing. So yeah, I just think that I've thought of Springer as in a different tier than what the Braves have done in the past, which is true, kind of definitively. But because the market doesn't seem to be overwhelming for him, maybe he might sign a three-year deal for a lot of money. And if it's a three-year deal, the Braves might be more yeah. willing to do that, given the security they have with Acuna and Ozzy and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. It might be palatable. By the way, did you see the reporting? I meant to ask you this and have it on the dock, and I didn't. I didn't do that. There was some reporting out there that the Padres are willing to go to three hundred million on an extension for for for, for Tatis. Mm
1: -hmm. Now,
0: by the way, that is totally reasonable. But as a reminder, Ronald Acuna is signed for one hundred million (laughs) dollars total. Yeah, that is insane. So if you're going back to that conversation from all that all that time ago when we got yelled at for saying how team friendly that that deal was, if Tatis signs for three hundred million dollars. Yep. Having done basically as much or less than Acuna did, just keep that in mind when the Braves signed Acuna for a hundred million. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and Aussie uh, Albies might not quite be Fernando Tatis, but he is still a very good player, and they're they're. I think Al- Albies is like a year and a half older. Uh, you want to talk about contracts that it can set a team up for a long time? His is even more ridiculous. That's another one, yeah. Um, but yeah, good to be good to be Fernando Tatis, even if the, this is not the time he gets his contract. Um, as as long as he stays healthy, he will be a very rich man here soon.
0: Yeah. At any rate, I I got distracted there, but that was, uh, something I just, I I was laughing about that when I saw, I was like, Oh, that's, that's actually appropriate market value. And Ronald Acuna is making a third of that. Um, okay. While we're on that topic, yeah, Springer would would, would be fun. If they get him at a real deal, we will not complain. I know that much. Uh, and especially, like you said, if you can put him in a corner and the Braves absolutely can, he'd be the third best defender in the outfield. And that is a luxury to have. If you could put him in left field and have him yeah. be, he'd be a, at least right now, obviously he's going to age a little bit throughout the contract, but if you have George Springer playing left field for you, he's probably an elite defensive left fielder, given mm-hmm. what left field usually looks like in a lot of ballparks. So yep. uh, yeah, if that's your defensive outfield, it's the best defensive outfield in the majors, I would imagine, if Pache is as good as we all think he's going to be. So yeah, sign me up for that, in addition to the bat, where he is uh, quite good. Yeah. Um, Last couple things from Bowman's mailbag that I wanted to get into briefly here. He sort of downplayed Drew Waters as an opening day possibility. That does not surprise me, but people have been asking that every once in a while. Know Eric gets that question all the time. Like, what about Waters for left field? And it's like, well, maybe eventually, but not at the beginning of the season, probably.
1: No, I think Drew was probably hurt more than most players because um, last year, not having a minor league season, and just having kind of their off-site workouts, I, I think Waters is somebody who needs to continue getting in bats regularly in the minors. And it's not a knock on him; it's just he needs more reps. I, I think he has some approach and swing and miss, miss issues that he needs to clean up. Um, he's a guy who was struck out at pretty high levels, and I know we're talking about a small sample, but even in Double A in 2019, across 450 plate appearances, he struck out 27% of the time and then got a month taste of Gwinnett and struck out in 36% of his plate appearances. So again, that's nothing on, against him. He's 22 years old. He's a young man. Um, but I would imagine that this upcoming year for him is is not only an important one, but one that will likely, uh, without having a crystal ball, but would likely see most of his at-bats coming in Gwinnett.
0: Yeah, especially early on. And if the Braves don't make a big move in left field of some sort, Maybe you see Waters midseason. That would not surprise me at all. If he plays well early on, that's the kind of move that makes sense. If the Braves like go with the stopgap route and left, maybe bring Duvall back or whatever you want to say. That that opens the door a little bit for Waters. Um, if they make a big splash, if it's George Springer, you're not seeing Drew Waters this year, at least for at least till probably September, because um, where's it going to go? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. But if they kind of patch it together a little bit more, then maybe that opens the door for him. But that was notable to me. Also, the bullpen came up in the piece that Mark uh, was writing. I think the closer discussion, as we've discussed many times, is overblown. But in the same piece, Bowman wrote, and I'm quoting here from him, whatever the case, whoever gets the role is most likely already on the roster, end quote. Which was not like a huge surprise, hmm. but notable to me. So he mentions, basically, it's, if, if that's the case, it would be down to Will Smith uh, maybe Chris Martin, A.J. Minter, and perhaps Tyler Matzik would be your sort of big four options there. I was just kind of surprised because, not that I'm expecting them to sign a big closer, but if, like, if Melanson came back, for instance, he's available still, um, you know, he might be in the closer role. And those guys are, are are all good. You know, Will Smith is really good, I think. I know he's got not great this year, but all that stuff. Martin's been great. Minter and Matzik were awesome in 2020. But those names do not necessarily, like, scream closer to me in the way that snicker usually approaches it especially because three of those guys are left-handed
1: yeah which I mean, is not what you want probably yeah and, and look i mean if you think the market as a whole has been slow there's been like no <laughs> movement on yeah, the, the reliever relief, market the, the relief
0: mean, market is comical there's like i, I mean is yeah. just sitting out there chilling he's not the only one shane green's still available i think as well isn't he
1: um mm-hmm. yeah, there's, yeah
0: there's guys yeah. everywhere
1: Um, I know, uh, Blake Trinan just signed with the Dodgers on a, on a reasonable two-year deal, but yeah, I mean, it's been, again, I mean, Brad hand who for years and not even just for the Braves, but for many years has been one of the game's dominant left-handed option wouldn't even get picked up for, for next year when the, when the Indians released him. So yeah, it's been a very frigid free agent class for, for relievers I would think that probably February for those guys is when you'll see some movement, maybe because Blake Trinan, who is presumably one of the better options, has signed. Maybe that moves things a little bit. But even then, he he re-signed with L.A., which was his old team. So there's familiarity there. Um, But yeah, I I would not worry about the closure spot right now. I think Anthopolis and the front office are really keyed in on that on the big bat they need to add and then and then go from there.
0: Certainly, the, the bat that, that they need is the bigger priority. I, I've i thought, though, the whole time that the Braves were at least reasonably likely to sign one more, you know, decent money yeah. reliever. Like, it may not be Brad Hand, who, by the way, is still available, which is crazy. He's really good and available. <laughs> it may not be Brad Hand. It may not be Blanson. It may not be Shane Green. Whatever you want to say, I think the Braves are somewhat likely to bring in another established reliever. They have some good depth, but. You know they did, they they're losing a couple guys from last year at the very minimum right now, which is not terrible, especially if you believe that Minter and Matzik can replicate replicate what they did last year. But it isn't necessarily the capital S strength that it was coming into last season on paper. It's a little bit it's a little bit worse right now just because of yeah. the lack of depth. Not a problem area. It's still it's still an above average bullpen on paper, but I think they might do one more thing
2: mm-hmm. in the
0: bullpen. Um, and it could be Melanson, but I thought it was at least interesting that Bowman was kind of not definitive, but most likely already on the roster was the way that he put it. And that kind of limits it, the pool to, I would probably guess Smith or Martin. Cause I, I don't see the, I don't, I don't really see Bryant sticker going to AJ Minter as his full-time closer from day one next year. I could be wrong about that, but I'd be surprised. Yep. So
1: yeah, I, I think they probably overspent a little bit on last year's bullpen. It was and expensive. <laughs> there's some uh, correction going on, and and but I'm with you. If if a dozen relievers had already signed for for good money, I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe they aren't going to do anything. Um, I have to think that if Mark Melanson is available on a one year deal for, I don't know, six million bucks, which seems likely at this point, I would sure think a Melanson type veteran arm. Maybe it's Melanson, maybe it's Green, maybe it's somebody else. Um, they're going to take a chance on them, and they'll probably bring in a Tyler Matzik type, a, a buy low, hope there's something there. If it's not good, you just cut him in the spring or maybe stash him in, in AAA. Um, but yeah, again, I, I think this is a low priority at the moment. If we're still having this conversation in two months that the Braves haven't done anything for the bullpen, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe we were wrong, but I think ultimately something happens there.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the word correction. They obviously, it was such a huge problem in the middle of the season when they went out and just kind of spent crazy to get Melanson, to get uh, Shane Green, to get to get Chris Martin all at the same time. They kind of went from having a terrible bullpen to having a great one, and now they might just go back to having a pretty good one, which is not the worst thing in the world. And they spent a lot of money in the last year and a half.
1: On the and, and historically, the bullpen is by far the easiest thing to address and improve at the trade deadline. Well, don't, don't, tell, don't
0: tell the Phillies from last year. <laughs> right. Yeah. But.
1: Except for the Phillies who are a little dysfunctional, despite how much money they want to spend. Um, historically. And, and again, there's no guarantees in baseball, well, the, tw- but... the
0: 2019 Braves are a great example of that. I mean, they went mm-hmm. out and just fixed that problem in three days, basically. Yep. And they spent yep. money to do it, but that's, that's what you can do at the bullpen. So, yeah,
1: there's always the rent a reliever. There's always a team looking to cut some salary. I mean, there, there are options there. It's not, as unlikely as finding a you know, really good shortstop or a genuine front-end starting pitcher that you're going to feel comfortable giving the ball to in Game 1. Um, yeah, there, there's always a million relievers that, that are out there.
0: Scott, speaking of really good shortstops and good starting pitchers, the, mm. New, the New York Mets made a trade this week. Let's talk about that yeah. now. So the Mets added one of the best players in baseball and Francisco Lindor. That's not great for the Braves because he's really good, and now he's in the division on a rival. They also got, they also got Carlos Carrasco in the deal, and that's uh, he's definitely not the centerpiece of it, but he's a good pitcher when he's right. And the Mets are now pretty loaded, and we expected that to be the case. You know, Steve Cohen, the new owner, came in guns a blazing and was going to spend money, and he's he's a billionaire, all that. So no one's surprised. But Lindor was the best trade asset available on the market and they went mm-hmm. and got him, which is not ideal yeah. for the Braves. And now, by the way, the offense has been good for the Mets the last couple of years, and it's been the pitching, at least last season, that let them down. With This is my favorite stat I've found in a while, actually. Jacob deGrom was incredible last season, as he always is. Even with him included, the Mets had a 5.37 ERA with the starting pitchers last year. Hmm. Wow. That's, hard, that's hard to do. If you have Jacob deGrom on your team, and he is like himself and awesome, and you still have a mid-fives ERA for the rotation. Mm -hmm. So Carrasco is like a sneaky part of this. So that's all I'll say is like, what was your reaction? I know mine was like, not dread, but certainly not uh, good for the Braves.
1: Yeah. I mean, Francisco Lindor to me is one of the most enjoyable and electric players in the game. So of course he goes to the Mets, right? Just, just naturally. Um, And he is a free agent in a year now. People assume that he will stay with the Mets long-term, or at least the Mets will have every opportunity to keep him long-term. You would think it's a natural fit. We'll see. If it ends up being a one-year deal for them, I would be much happier. But uh, it kind of feels like the Mookie Betts trade for the Dodgers a year ago where he will ultimately stay there, but we'll see. But yes, I mean the Mets have sneakily had a very good lineup the last couple years. I want to say they were actually number two or three in all of baseball last year. Um, at least top five or so. Um, and then you mentioned the starting pitching, which was really bad though, to the Mets defense, they have Degrom, who's awesome, but Marcus Stroman had a calf issue and then opted out of the year for COVID reasons. Uh, Noah Syndergaard had Tommy John surgery, I believe in May. So he's somebody who will probably be ready around the all-star break this upcoming year. So they did lose a couple of, of very good pitchers. Now, um, you know, everyone was playing with weird circumstances last year, so it's not an excuse. But anytime you even if they just added Carrasco, I mean, that moves the needle for the Mets. And then to add Lindor, who is a you know top 10, top 15 type player in the league um, to a good lineup, to a good rotation. Uh, once again, the NL East, if the Braves want to win it for a fourth year in a row, I, I would imagine come opening day, the Mets will be viewed as the as the real competition. And then you have the nationals who I, I think you can probably throw most of 2020 out the window. I think there was just a, a hangover and just a lack of, I guess, uh, urgency there. Right. They, they barely pitched Strasburg. Scherzer sat out some time. Um, and then the Phillies are, well, I think they're pretty clearly the fourth best roster in the league right now. They are far from a bad team.
0: Yeah. So, this is not like our, our full blown NL East preview, but we'll we'll do one of those later on when the, when the rosters are set. But just looking ahead a little bit to close out the podcast, uh, this is only one metric, but FanGraphs has their like you know live basically updating Zips projections, their their overall projections for the season, and they're not project, They have the Mets projected for the most WAR this uh, this season for for the division. Now I want to point out that for the Braves, this projection includes uh, a terrible left field projection that includes Ender and Drew Waters. It also includes Pache not getting the love that he probably deserves because it's a model projection and a rookie is not going to ever look great in those. Basically, so those two spots are worth noting and the Braves have uh, have some holes that they're going to fill with someone that that drags them down a little bit. But still, the Mets are projected to beat the Braves in that in that metric. They actually have the Dodgers, Padres, Mets in that order in the National League, and then the Braves are right after that at four. So they're pretty close. The Nats, like you said, are generally third in all the projections right now, and that's that's with good reason. They're still good. They still have Trey Turner and Juan Soto and the starting pitchers. They add Schwarber, who I actually kind of still believe in for whatever reason. Um, but they, they are definitely third right now on paper, and the Phillies are not a disaster, but they're definitely fourth in the Marlins of the Marlins. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's too early for all of this. All I will say right now is that the Braves are not definitively better than the Mets right now on paper which is not breaking news, I don't think, but for Braves fans, I know I know we've said this in the past, that the Braves weren't necessarily like head and shoulders better than everybody in the division. Two weeks ago, I would have told you the Braves were the clear favorites. I think this move closes that gap at, at a minimum. Yeah. Whether you want to say the Braves are still the favorite, that's totally fine if you want to think that. I will reserve judgment until we see what they, what they, do, what they do in left field, frankly, because mm-hmm. they, they got to do something with this roster. If it's this team right now, which it won't be, but the Mets are better than the Braves at this moment. Does that matter? No, because... The Braves are going to do something else, but uh, my takeaway is at a minimum the Mets are now a real threat in the way that they might not have been before.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, anytime a a divisional roster, which is already good, adds again a legitimate top ten or twelve player in the entire league, and Lindor, a guy who is in the middle of his prime, and then a very good, I mean, Carlos Carrasco, as long as his his health cooperates, he's a legitimate number two, number three starter. Uh, they brought back Marcus Stroman with a qualifying offer. Again, you talk about a mid-season addition of Noah Syndergaard. If he's able to fully recover from Tommy John, the Mets are good on paper. Uh, I do think the Nationals are going to be bad. I mean, they were horrible last year, just yeah. everything going on. Uh, they're not going to be that bad. And, and then even the Marlins. I mean, the uh, the Marlins have a lot of young talent. Honestly, if you put the Marlins in the National League Central or the American League Central, just two bad divisions I think they might even, you know, if a few things bounce their way, that might be a close to 80 win roster in a bad division where they're going to play all those poor teams for, for, you know, 40% of their games. Um, they, they probably won't get to that level in 2021 just because of their, the difficult schedule they're going to see. But, um, once again, it's going to be a real challenge. And you know, I do think there's something to be said for the Braves who are just every year seem to get really good production out of guys who are off the, off the radar a little bit. Um, but it will, I guess we'll see in two months' time or so who the Braves add, who else the Mets add, the Nationals, Phillies. Um, it's going to be a very competitive division once again.
0: Yeah, and we'll, like I said before, we'll do a deeper dive on the National League East once the rosters are a little bit more settled. Also, ESPN did a top-10 update this week. I think it was Buster Olney did the list, and he had it in the National League. It was Dodgers, Padres, Braves, then Mets. So it's not like everybody's picking the Mets right now. But uh, they made a splash Lindor is really awesome. Like, if you don't watch American League Baseball, I don't know a lot about Lindor. Just picture, let's just say, he's he's on the level of guys like Acuna and Freeman. He's that good. Like, mm-hmm. he might not be better than them, or quite as good, but he's that kind of star. He's, like you said, he's top 10, top 15, 15 player in baseball. He is awesome. And then Carrasco is a good starter. So, those guys getting moved to the division, not ideal. But, the Braves have more moves than left in them, and hopefully they will make them at some point, because again, it is January tenth, and the Braves. I just saw this tweet from Stephen uh, over at 75. The Braves have not made a move in 47 days, so. Ooh. And he, because he was wondering aloud, Scott, I I, te- <laughs> I teased the podcast on Twitter while we were recording, uh, and he was wondering aloud how in the world we were recording without anything to talk about. So yeah. this, this one's for you, Stephen, if you're listening. I saw the tweet live, and uh, there you go. We're, we're trying to do content over here at TalkingChop.com.
1: Yeah, if if Alex Anthopoulos wants to throw us a bone, and like I don't even need a move, like just just some solid quality rumor. rumors. Yeah, yep, totally. Like like Braves believed to be one of three finalists for George Springer. I will or, do a half you know.
0: hour deep dive on George Springer on Tuesday night if they have a rumor on George Springer. Yep. I'm fine to do that. I'm yep, in.
1: Me too. But I would happily a, do that.
0: But I'm not even. I mean, we've said it before, but it's not just a lack of moves. There hasn't been a peep on the Braves. Like the biggest story, this is unfortunate. The biggest story of the Braves for the last month is Phil Necro passing away. Mm -hmm. And that was a big story, but Phil Necro was in his eighties and it was going to happen at some point. And he's a hall of famer and great player. and all that. But like that tells you like, there's not a lot going on in the Braves world right now. There's
1: a, uh, there's a Twitter feed that's automatically populated from MLB trade rumors. If there's any uh, Braves news, right? So if, if the Braves are tagged in a story, I believe the story automatically tweets out, um, they have MLBTR Braves is the handle. Yep. They have like four tweets over the last six weeks.
0: I am looking and at you're... their uh, page, not, not not the Twitter page, but the MLB MLB Trade Rumors category Braves page right now. Yep. I'm going to read the headlines to you in the last six <laughs> weeks. Right
1: I'm now. looking at them now. They're, they are pretty incredible. So yep. from
0: last week, it was checking in on last season's worst rotations. There you go. Uh, the previous week was Phil Necro passes away. The week before that was managers and top front office executives on expiring contracts. Three weeks ago, it was Braves announced two new coaches on the staff. And then the one before that, which is at least a month ago at this point, was that the Braves nearly signed Josh Harrison last summer. <laughs> so that that was a newser a year in a, a year behind. So yep. all that to say, since the non-tenor deadline, there has not been a single actual Braves baseball story. So we'll do what we can on the podcast. I think we've tried to do as well as possible to populate the podcast feed. Like I said, we had Gabe on previously. The Road to Atlanta guys are churning out content. Scott and I have just performed a 40-minute podcast somehow. (laughs) And uh, hopefully everybody's appreciating it, because we're trying.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, hopefully... I guess the good news is, is, is there's been very little movement elsewhere in the league, so there's a lot of players still out there and a lot of trades that could be made, so... Fingers crossed for the sake of the podcast that over the next couple of days, I'm not even going to say weeks, couple days, we get at least something. Like you said, if if we get a report, the Braves are hot after George Springer, kind of like when they were hot after Mike Clevenger at last year's trade <laughs> deadline. Like I would happily hop on and talk 30 minutes for you about George Springer and why he might and might not make sense. And
0: I would take my you know, rumor. I would take a Shane yeah, Green rumor like anybody, anything. anybody that's actually a pretty good baseball player. I'll take it. It doesn't have to be Springer. What about so.
1: Tyler Flowers?
0: Listen, you and I are uh, you and I are enthusiasts of Tyler Flowers, and uh, I'm, I'm in. This keeps our streak alive of discussing Tyler Flowers. You and I on the podcast, uh, there we go. got to be at least five or six in a row now, which I appreciate. Uh, shout out to Tyler, who I'm sure is enjoying himself in the off season. Uh, he's good at baseball still. I will ride on that till the end of time. Alas, okay, Scott, that's enough. I think on the podcast, unless you have final thoughts, please feel free to mm-hmm. share them. Uh, I once again, I once again apologize for the lack of Colts content. On this podcast I could have poked fun at you but I'm a Falcons fan so what, what, what am I supposed to say at least you don't have Philip Rivers oh wait you do have Philip Rivers throwing a throwing a Hail Mary and being 10 yards short of the end zone on um, have field so that was fun
1: how did you uh react to Michigan forfeiting their next five games against Ohio State
0: um listen I, it wasn't great because
1: because Jim Harvaugh is sticking around and yeah I, guess I mean I, l- to... I mean
0: it's one of those situations where <laughs> every like super obvious Twitter joke about how Ohio State was thrilled with the hire was yeah. all true. I mean, Ohio State has to be thrilled. Like, I, I'm a realist. People know that about me. I'm a realist. It's not good. I mean, he's not going to suddenly become an awesome, you know, they're, they're not going to suddenly overtake Ohio State under Jim Harbaugh. That's not going to happen. So uh, my, my Ohio State friends were thrilled. Uh, what are you going to do? They, they didn't want to fire him. And uh, because they didn't want to fire him, they offered him like a pretty insulting contract, and he signed it. So what do you want me to do?
1: Uh, What's uh, all right? Let me ask this: What's your uh, what's your college football championship tomorrow night?
0: Oh Uh, yeah, we're We're recording this Sunday night. The game is on Monday night, so if you're listening to this after that, you can log off now. Um, I think Bama will win. Uh, I think Ohio State can hang though. There is the notion that Bama is going to just destroy them, and they might. Alabama is really kind of scary good. They have essentially an elite player at every spot offensively. They have an elite offensive line like top five in the country, the best receiver in the country, the best running back in the country, and one of the best three or four quarterbacks in the country. That yep. seems unfair to me. Um, but they they do have all those guys. I think Bama will win. I can't pick Ohio State. I don't like them anyway, but objectively, they're pretty good too. I think they're going to hang around, but uh, I got to pick Bama.
1: I see eight and a half here for Alabama. How do you feel about that?
0: Ugh, it's probably a stay away. I would, I, I'm an underdog guy. I would probably lean Ohio State if you maybe choose eight and a half, but I I don't think that I would wager yeah. on that either way.
1: Just, yeah, that's a, that's a juicy eight and a half just because you do have that, that eight point cover, right? Well, This that, is going
0: to the... sound like a super, I mean, I, I write for sports line. I write for CBS's gambling vehicle. This is going to sound super gambling guy, but if it was seven, I would take Alabama. If it was 10, I take Ohio state. So
1: mm, yeah,
0: eight and a half to the, right in the middle of there. And, uh, that's <laughs> probably where the line should be. They're not stupid folks. They, they don't set bad lines for big games like that. So, uh, I don't know. I think Bama wins by like a touchdown would be my guess. Who knows? You have yeah. one who you got. You, you like Bama too.
1: Oh geez. Uh, yeah, probably. You made I me mean, choose. Come on. I, uh, my college football these days is, is minimal. I can't, um, I can't,
0: I can't believe why. I mean, Arizona has been so good at football.
1: Recently. We're pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Hiring, uh, the school president's best buddy from 20 years ago. Um, yeah, I'll take, I'll take Bama. I, I think they're, I mean, obviously they're insanely talented and, um, I don't know how healthy Fields' ribs are, so I would probably pick Bama and take Bama with the eight and a half, but that would be a a complete guess, which I don't know. For me, sometimes it's probably better than, you know, it's the old March Madness bracket. You could sit there for three hours and do research, and it would probably be horrible compared to if you just handed it to, like, your aunt and she picked them, and, and, you know, then you would win money if your aunt filled it out instead. So we will see.
0: Yes, we will. Uh, I have the pleasure on Monday evening, of going to uh, State Farm Arena to cover a Hawks game during the football playoff. Finals. Nice. So, nice. I am a dedicated professional, and I will show up and do my job with my iPad on the football game. So, there you have it. All right, Scott, <laughs> thank you for joining me. As always, if we get news, we will hop back on. I don't know if it'll be me and Scott or me and Eric or Eric and Scott or whatever, but we'll be here if there is news as fast as we possibly can. I think we've proven that in the past. Follow Scott. On the Twitter machine at ScottColeman55. That's correct, I think. Yep. And then you can follow me as well if you'd like to at BT Roland for all of your Atlanta Hawks content. Follow the site at, at Talking Chop. Check out um, this podcast feed, of course. Rate, review, subscribe, and then read all of the content. Click around. And again, the prospect list is really awesome work. So check those out as well, especially. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back again in the near future. See you all then.
2: and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360 degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, hits the best price of the year at $29.